The End Times Part 3, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. As, as we celebrate Halloween or as we kind of remember this day, uh, we realize that a lot of people are sort of into being scared. They, it's it's this, this idea where sort of evil is kind of like been, it's popularized. It's in many ways celebrated, which is kind of awful when you think about it. And, uh, but I think a lot of us, as we've grown up in our homes and growing up as a childhood, we've probably gone through our share of experiencing some level of evil. Have you ever had an earthquake event growing up in your home? Something that shook your family at its core? And even today, you feel some of the effects of it. Have you ever encountered anything like that? Well, when I was in college, early on in my college years, uh, my sister Susan, who's two years older than me, uh, she just decided to run away from home as an adult. And it really shook us as a family. And we didn't prepare for that. We weren't expecting it. Uh, my sister Susan grew up with a learning disability. And my mother and father, myself, my sister, my oldest sister, we didn't know how to properly love and care for her during that time. We didn't have like a Pastor Shirley at our church. Uh, my sister Susan was ostracized from the Korean community because of her learning disability, uh, particularly the Korean church. So she kind of left that early on. So she didn't really have community amongst the Christian circle. And then at home, my parents really believed that she couldn't live the full life that my sister Ellen and myself could live because of her learning disability. And so her life was kind of reduced to like going to work with my mother at the deli that she owned in New York City. She'd go there every day and then she'd come home and that would really be like her life. And she, on the weekends, she'd just stay home and watch some TV. And in some ways, she kind of felt like a prisoner in her own home. And as she was getting older, I, I, I realized that my sister Susan wanted to, to go out and have fun and experience life because she, till this day, still, I, I believe, an incredibly bright uh, woman. And, uh, and so when she was working at the deli, she met a guy who was delivering potato chips. And my mother started to notice it because my sister would dress up and put on a lot of makeup before he'd come and all that stuff. And that's who she went with. That's where, when she ran away, she went to be with him. And it just took our family and it just hurt us in a deep way. We didn't know what to do. And uh, I still remember till this day, my mother would wait upstairs in her room. We had a balcony door. And she would be looking out the door, hoping that my sister would return, even though she made no promise of her return. She knew exactly when the last bus would come from Port Authority to Palisades Park. And so she would wait at nights, just waiting, hoping that my sister would return. Eventually, one day she did, but she didn't return to come back home. She returned to get her stuff, and she left for good. And luckily over time, as, as God would have it, they were able to, my mother and my father were able to reconcile with my sister and they still have a, a loving relationship with her even though she's never really come back home since then. But I never will forget my mother just waiting every night, believing that she was gonna come home. One day I just remember just breaking down emotionally just in front of her just because I was, felt so terrible for her. I, my sister ran away, her daughter ran away from home. But that expectation that she had, that daily expectation that she had, in some ways is the same type of posture that Jesus wants you to live with every day. Because Jesus promises that one day he will return. It's a promise. And if Jesus has promised us that he will one day return, shouldn't you and I live every day with the expectation that he is? 
Because I do think that for a lot of us, even though we've been in this series now for the last couple of weeks, how many of us actually live our lives expecting that Jesus Christ is going to return? My mother, even though my sister never made a promise that she was going to come home, every night she waited by her balcony door hoping that my sister would come, believing that my sister would come, but she never did. Jesus promised us that he will one day come back. And that's why in two chapters he goes into detail, not necessarily of when, when he's going to come back. That's not what's important. What's important is that he is going to come back. He makes, that a, he makes it a promise, and he wants you to prepare your lives every day, living with the daily expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back. How do we do that? How do we begin to do that? How do we live our lives every day where we believe Jesus is coming back in a day now? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So if you, have Matt, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 36 through 51. Matthew 24 verses 36 through 51. Uh, this is apocalyptic literature. It's about the end times. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A little bit easier to grapple with in this translation. Here's what it says. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Now, remember last week we talked about this. It's not that Jesus didn't know. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. But in Philippians chapter 2 and 7, what does it say? That Jesus gave up his divine privileges when he became a human being. So Jesus chose not to know because he gave up his divine privilege of not knowing. And so Jesus even says, I don't even know when I'm coming back. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, this is a promise, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. Underline that word or circle that word watch. That's the key verb in this entire passage. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And guys, these are the words of Jesus, not mine. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sometimes it's really hard to embrace those kinds of verses where Jesus is very honest, explicit in what will happen when he comes back for those who don't believe. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, we come to you right now and Lord, this is... I guess on this Halloween, this is probably a kind of a scary text. Lord, I pray that you would give us a good and righteous fear of you today. That you would give us a deep sense of reverence for who you are. Forgive us for not doing that. Forgive us for taking you for granted. Forgive us for kind of being like maybe the second servant that just thought you're not coming back. So we just decide to live the life that we want to live. Not the life that you've called us to live. 
and give us a healthy sense of perspective of the enormity of your majesty and your power. So God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room and watching those online, I pray it would truly be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So again, what's important here is that Jesus is coming back. That's a promise that he makes. It's, what's not important is when he's going to come back. You and I should never be fixated, even though Jesus gives us signs at the beginning of the chapter of when he's going to come back. Like if these signs happen, just know that I'll probably be coming back. Those signs are actually happening today. And so is he coming back? For sure he's coming back. When exactly? No clue. Jesus didn't even know. So again, if Jesus didn't know, no one will know. So whenever you hear people say Jesus is coming back like, you know, September 29th, you know, 2040, don't believe it. (laughs) All right, just don't believe it because if Jesus didn't know, nobody's going to know. So what the key thing is and what Jesus wants you and I to realize here is this, that you and I have to know that because Jesus promises that he would come and he also says that he's going to come when you and I least expect it, We have to live with a daily expectation that he's actually coming. That every day, you and I will live with that kind of expectation. So how do we do that? How do we live our lives with a daily expectation that he's coming? Here's the first thing that we do. We have to confront our dark side. If you want to live your life with a daily expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back, you got to confront your dark side. We all have a dark side. I have a dark side. You have a dark side. Let's stop hiding it and let's admit that we have it. Can you just turn to your neighbor and don't feel bad about it, but just say, hey, I have a dark side. It's Halloween. Just say, hey, I have a dark side. It's Halloween, all right? Declare it. We all have a dark side. Every single one of us. Nobody exempts you. I don't care who you are. Maybe David Hosang doesn't have a dark side. He's the only one. He's the only one, all right? Everyone else, you all got a dark side. We all have a dark side. Look at what it says in verse 48. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? Now, that's the foundation of the dark side. When those Christians start to believe, ah, he ain't coming back. And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servants to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Again, hypocrisy is categorized as a real dark side for Jesus. He doesn't like hypocrites, all right? In, the, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The dark side is something that you and I all possess. We have it because we live in a broken, sinful world. We're all born with sort of a dark side. And if you and I want to get to a place where we can constantly anticipate that Jesus Christ is coming back, we have to realize that we all have one. Nobody here is an angel. We all have a dark side, and we have to be willing to confront that. How do you know if you're living in that dark side today? Is when you begin to believe and you have no reverence to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. That you just kind of live your life the way you want to live it in hopes that everything will be okay as you do that. And you don't give much regard to thinking, well, if Jesus were to come back tonight, would I be okay in how I'm living today? Another sign that you're living in the dark side is when you begin to mistreat people. Are people getting upset with you? Sometimes it's hard as people to really understand if we're mistreating them, but are people getting upset with you a lot? Is your spouse getting upset with you a lot? Are your children getting upset with you a lot? Are people at your jobs getting upset with you a lot? And you still believe that it's all them and not you. Are you mistreating them? Are you in a position of power, maybe in your family, in your home, maybe at your jobs, wherever you might be? And are you abusing that power to mistreat people? Think about that for just a moment. 
Are you thinking about partying and getting drunk and all those things? And I know a lot of people did that because uh, yesterday was Halloween. A lot of us decided to go out, have fun, do our thing. And it's amazing that, you know, we replace fun with true joy. And we think that kind of fun is joy, but it's not. It will never last. And so we all have a dark side. And Jesus says that if we don't confront our dark side, he's going to cut us to pieces and send us to a place where the hypocrites reside, a place where it's called hell, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know it's hard, but this is a hard teaching that Jesus is giving to you and to me. Now, some of you are saying, but wait a minute. Isn't salvation supposed to be free? Absolutely. Salvation is what Christ has done because Jesus Christ loves us. He came and died for us on the cross, resurrected from the dead. It is free in that sense. There's nothing you and I can do to ever receive salvation. But a lot of you have internalized that to think that your actions have nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to do with it. Because James says faith without works is meaningless. Jesus also, remember the the parable he gives about the branches and the vine? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you don't bear good fruit, what will my father do? He'll break off the branches. And he'll throw it away. You see, many of you agree with what Christ has done for us. But it's not about agreeing with it. It's about believing. Because if you believe that Jesus Christ came here and died for her on the cross and resurrected from the dead, it will impact how you and I live our lives. It really will. It will affect our actions. And faith without actions is absolutely meaningless. And so how do we confront our dark side then? How do you and I begin to do it? You know how you do it? You have to confess your dark side and repent of the sins that your dark side is making you do. That's what you just have to do. You just have to be honest that you have it. Because if you don't, you live in hypocrisy. And how does Jesus talk about people who are hypocrites? He puts you in the same boat as those living in the dark side. And so you just have to realize that you have a dark side. Confess your dark side. Don't live it. Don't keep it in secrecy. Confess it and then repent of the sins that you might have committed because of that dark side. 1 John 1, 9 through 10. Look at what the Apostle John says here. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that this word has no place in our hearts. You see, claiming that you have not sinned means that you believe you don't have a dark side. But we all do. I have one, you have one, we all do. And when we repent of our sins, what repentance means theologically is that you're making a conscious choice to turn the other way from your sin and walk in the opposite direction. That's what repentance means. So we are to confess our dark side. We got to do battle with it. And the best way to do battle with it is to confess and repent of our dark sides. That's how you begin to live with the anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming back. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to die with secrets. I hope you don't either. Because if you live your life with no secrets, you'll know what true freedom is. The moment that you have secrets in your life where nobody knows about is when you've lived and embraced the life of a hypocrite. And that's not a good place for you to be according to what Jesus says over here in this passage. And so the best thing you can do is to connect with somebody. I like to call these people soulmates. Some people call them soul partners. And confess and repent of your dark side. It's not just you praying to God and confessing it to him, but it's about getting somebody else in the room with you and you confessing it. Now, it's more than just being transparent. I do believe millennials love to be transparent, 
particularly the Gen Zers, you love it. It's part of your generation. It's part of your DNA makeup. Uh, when you confess and repent, it's not about being transparent. No, it's not, because transparency oftentimes in our generation is seen as, a, as an end in and of itself. No, transparency should never be an end in and of itself. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that, I know that for a lot of women, as gen, I'm just speaking very generally here. Women, like with, even in our church, will have no problems confessing their dark sides. That they are transparent. But you've got to be more than transparent. Because transparency in our culture is just an end in and of itself. We are called to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is a means to an end. What's the end of vulnerability? Growth. You see, if you're being transparent and the people that you're being transparent with aren't encouraging you to grow or keeping you accountable, then your transparency means nothing. You have to put yourself in a place where you're vulnerable because vulnerability means that you could also get hurt. But that's where God's strength is perfected in you in that kind of vulnerability and weakness. And when you sit with your accountability partner, your soulmate, and you confess and you repent of the sins maybe that you've been struggling with because your dark side is rearing his ugly head in your life, they're not supposed to just say, well, thank you, Let's just pray or give you a hug. They're supposed to keep you accountable and say, well, let's, let's go back. Let's talk about this more. Let's talk about the dark side and keep you accountable. That's what it's about because the end of vulnerability is growth. Transparency is the end. And that's why it's more than about you being transparent. It's about being vulnerable so that you and I can both grow. And that's how we live our lives with the expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back because you are confronting your dark side and no one here in this room can do it alone. You need other people to help you. Take that journey with you and help you to overcome your dark side. So will you begin to do that? Will you begin to confront your dark side by confessing and repenting of your sins that your dark side is causing you to do? I, I realized um, how deep my dark side was probably about six years into my ministry here. I didn't know the depth of it. I just kind of knew some of the surface stuff, some of the tentacles to like the dark side, right? But there was a deeper thing that, helped, that I had to explore. Uh, you know, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month, and I want to encourage you, and today's the last day of October. <laughs> Appreciate your pastors, all right? Our pastors are pretty awesome in this church. Yes. And uh, if you haven't, hey, just, you know, we're here. They're at the Fun Fest today. Just, just say thank you. And there's a, a great person, a, a partner in our church, and, and she just gave, like, all the pastors, like, a care package today. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. But, you know, uh, I realized more and more that, man, we got we to gotta hype up this Pastors Appreciation Month because we're going down like flies. 1,200 pastors quit or get fired every month. 1,200 in America, not in the world, in America. 1,200. Can you think about that? Do you know what the average lifespan of a pastor is? It's the same as an NFL running back. Five years. That means a pastor's career only lasts five years, the average pastor in America. The NFL running back, if you don't know this, it's the shortest lifespan of any position in the NFL because of the, of the kind of hits that they, that they sustain, that they really only last at peak performance for five years. And because pastors often get so battered in the church by sometimes the church and its leaders, and also because I believe pastors are not able to fully confront their dark side, they are in it for about five years and they leave after that. It's really sad. And so when I entered seminary, I thought, well, my dark side is just 
lust. Like, I was like, all right, lust. I, I'm afraid I'm going to commit adultery on Jenny. We just got married about a year. So I still remember, like, I got my soulmate. Finally, I learned about what that is, and so I started to confess that. And then David Hosang at the time, he was my boss. I served under him. I was his intern at New Song Church. And I would just every week say, hey, can I just confess my lust to you? And so I'd be able to do that in front of him. I felt really good about it. But as I started full-time ministry, I realized how deeper my dark side was. And when I realized my greatest temptation wasn't lust, the things I was lusting after, but my greatest temptation was that I wanted to be spiritually lusted after. That was my greatest temptation. I wanted people to be enamored with my spirituality. I wanted people to invite me to speak at their churches. I wanted to write books. I just wanted to be known. Why? Because no matter what, when you grew up in an abusive, physically abusive home, no matter what, as a little child, when you grew up like that, you live with this deep sense of shame where you always hear a little voice, you're a loser. You're a mistake. And I had to drown out those voices by trying to be successful. That's why shame is such a dead, deadly emotion that so many of us are still struggling with today. And I realized how much deeper I had to get and how to confront that and do a whole lot of work in my life to deal with that sin. Because if I didn't confront that dark side, I wouldn't be in ministry today. And I realized that the root of, of, of my dark side was really rooted in shame. And all the other sins are like the tentacles that come out of that. And once I could deal with that, then the other stuff was a lot easier to, to deal with and to control at bay. you got to rage war on your dark side. Take the journey. Confess it. Repent of the sins that your dark side often leads you to to somebody. And just say, guys, or, or say, you know, sister, brother, don't let me off the hook, please. Help me to confront it. Love me, care for me. Always at the end of a confession, you say your sins are forgiven after you've interrogated or just kind of processed it with them. It is so critical to do. Otherwise, your dark side is going to take over and you're going to start to believe, that ah, Christ is not coming back. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go to that Halloween party, get drunk, beat up some people, and meet up with some people and do whatever I want to do. That's a dangerous place when your dark side is not confronted in that way. So that's the first thing, right? Second, we live with the daily expectation that Jesus is coming back when we are faithful to the small things. When we are faithful to the small things. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you two must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is the one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Again, the key verb in this entire passage is that word watch. And what that word means in the Greek, it really connotes not just you uh, looking out for Jesus... Like my mom was looking out for my sister. No, it means you're preparing to live your life faithfully for Jesus Christ. 
up until the day he returns. That's what it means. It means for you to prepare yourself. It's not you're watching for Jesus to come back by preparing yourself to live a faithful life to Jesus. And so it's about being faithful to the small things. And please know faithful, to be faithful, to have faith in God. It's always about being proactive with your faith, not reactive. So many of us are reactive. And we learned last week what's going to happen when we become reactive. When we become reactive, it's too late. It says that everyone will be mourning. Why? Because it's too, when Jesus Christ comes back, it's too late. You can't turn to him. It's over when he comes back. Faith is proactive. And I love the story of Noah because God tells Noah to build a boat in the middle of a desert. Do you know how crazy that is? It doesn't rain the desert to the point where you're going to need a boat. Could you just imagine what was happening? I mean, Noah was just building this boat in the desert. And everyone's like walking around like, Noah, what, what are you doing? Well, God told me it's going to rain, so I need to build a boat. And they're like, Noah, you're crazy. This is a desert. It doesn't rain in the desert. Why? And even if it does, you don't need a boat for it. And so they just went around about their days partying and having a good time, not even thinking twice about it. But faith is proactive because what did Noah do? Noah didn't see the rain, but he still built the boat. Many Jewish scholars say that when the Red Sea parted, because I hope you believe in that because it did. It said that if you talk to Jewish scholars, the people of God didn't just wait till God parted the Red Sea. They had to get neck deep. And as they got neck deep, that's when the water started to part. Faith requires you to get neck deep. Faith requires you to be proactive, not reactive. And then Jesus gives this other example that people will be working in the field and one will be taken, the other one will be left behind. Left behind means that they will be judged to hell. A woman, women will be making, you know, bread, pushing flour at the mill. And then all of a sudden one will be taken and the other one will be left. And then I love the third example here because the third example is of this faithful servant. He's given a task to take care of the servants and take care of the father's home, the master's home. And he does it faithfully. Master comes back. He gives him a really good reward. And then he gives him even more to oversee. He gives him everything. And that's really what faithfulness is. So if you want to prepare yourselves for the return of Jesus Christ, stop thinking big. A lot of us have grandiosity issues. You're thinking, God, what do you want me to do? God just wants you to be faithful to the small things he's placed upon your life, right? Small things like that child right there. What has God put in your life? What are the small things that God has put in your life? Are you faithful to those things? Because if you can't be faithful to the small things, God will never give you more. Some of you are wondering, God, you know, where are you steering me in my life? Where, what, what do you want me to do? Some of you, it's a real question. I, I talk to some of you and I connect. And you guys really want to live that out for the Lord. But if you're not faithful to the small things, God won't reveal it. In fact, maybe the reason why God's not doing some of the big things you want to do in your life is because you're not faithful to the small things. What has God put before you? Who is in your life? Are you faithful to that? If you're single, are you faithful as a single person to live your life with celibacy until you find a husband or a wife? Are you faithful to that? If you're married, are you faithful to your spouse? Are you faithful to them, not just with just, you know, being faithful to them in the sense of just committing yourself to them physically, but are you faithful to them and supporting them, helping them to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ? Are you faithful in doing that? 
If you're a parent, are you faithful to raising your child in the best loving home possible? Or are you allowing your dark side to really impact their lives negatively? I hope not. There's hope. There's hope. If that's the case. And I don't care how old your kids are. Parents, it's never too late. It's never too late. But we are to be faithful to that. God has called us to be faithful. Are you faithful with your tithes? God has given you a salary. Are you faithful to the small things? Don't expect, if you want God to increase your wealth, don't ever expect that God will do that until you first can be faithful in tithing. That's the small thing. It's the bottom. It's not the top. It's the basement, not the ceiling. I believe you can get rich without God. Absolutely. That's fine. You do that on your own. We can make money without him. But if you want God to help you, if you need God to do that, he's not going to help you unless you are faithful to tithing. That's what it says in the Bible. He has to be able to trust you with money before he can give you more. If you can't give 10% of what you make to God in the church, how is he going to bless you with more? He would never trust you with more. He's got to be able to trust you with more. Are you faithful with that? Right? What, are you faithful to this church? If you attend this church, is this a church where you're faithful to? Are you faithful to being a part of the life of this church? Or are you still in that like 21st century? I'm writing about this in my doctoral class. It's, it's this consumerist mentality where you just sit here and you say, feed me. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I want to eat more. Feed me, feed me. And I just want to say, feed yourself. Learn to feed yourself. It shouldn't sit well with you if you're, if you're a tender in this church when there is such a, a, a lack of people serving in this church right now because of the pandemic. We want to offer children's services for both services. We really do. Talk to Ansi, Nah, Janet, everyone. We do. But we just can't because we don't have enough teachers. So we only offer in the first service. That shouldn't sit well with us if this is our church. Because God's called us to be faithful. Some of you love children. And you're still not being faithful. That shouldn't sit well with you. Catrice and Tim, our worship directors, they still struggle to find people to sing, find people to play an instrument. They really struggle to that. And many times we have to bring people from the outside. And don't tell me you don't know how to play an instrument. I know your parents forced you to play an instrument growing up. <laughs> don't tell me you don't know how to play the piano. I know all of you, 90% of you know how to play the piano. All right? Don't tell me. I know your parents forced you. All right? Some of you are like really gifted musicians. Some of you have a voice like an angel. It shouldn't sit well with you to know that there's such a need up here and you're just sitting there and just enjoying yourself. It shouldn't. Some of you, you can bring life to a funeral because of your presence and your smile. The welcome ministry has been reduced to one-third. Do you know that maybe God could use your countenance, your presence, and your smile with people that walk into this church? You don't know what kind of weeks they've had. To the first time, you know how intimidating it is to walk into this big building if you're a first-time visitor? If you're a first-time visitor, I know how you do it. I really don't. As an introvert, this is daunting. And sometimes I see people come by themselves, and I have so much respect for them. But maybe God could use your presence, your smile, just to walk with them like they belong here. God could bless you like that. Right? In some ways. 
The media ministry, Isaac's back there working every Sunday. Sometimes we have our pastors doing stuff, right, to do the cameras, to do the pro presenter. Some of you are blessed. You could do that kind of stuff to serve us in that way. The setup and breakdown ministry, there wouldn't be a church without the setup and breakdown ministry. There is such a need right now. And if this is our church, God is encouraging you to be faithful to the small things. Serve. It shouldn't sit well with you that there's such a scarcity right now of servants for God here in this church. We should say, I want to be faithful to the small things because that will lead to greater and bigger things that God may want you to be blessed with in that way. Some of you are great at just caring for people. Why not maybe talk to Pastor Doug about leading a small group in the future? Do you know what a blessing you can be in that way? God wants us to be faithful to the small things because when we can be faithful to the small things, God will truly bless us. The point of this passage is that Jesus, with his angels, will gather his people at his return. And they will enjoy the full manifestation of the kingdom of God when he rounds you up. But the ones he leaves behind, they receive judgment. And in that verse it says that they will be cut to pieces, put to hell with the hypocrites. We are to keep watch. Our preparedness or lack thereof with the expectation that Jesus is coming back will mean either a blessing at his return or it will mean judgment when he comes back. And Jesus says, be prepared at all times. Almost to the fact that, like, you knowing that today a burglar is going to come and rob your house. All of you will be ready if that happened. Jesus says, you are to have that kind of preparedness. You are to keep watch at that level. And if you do that, you're going to be in a very good place. So be faithful to the small things. Confront your dark side. And live with the expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back every single day. I remember uh, when our kids were real little, and uh, especially like, like when they were babies, uh, they, you know, Christina, she, she woke up four or five times a night. It was hell. Kayla was like a, an angel. We, we thought like she'll, she'll sleep like nine hours straight at like, one, like two months old. We thought something was wrong with her. So we had to like wake her up, make sure she was okay. And then Christian, oh my God, same thing like Christina. And I just remember like in the, you know, when they first wake up, you kind of hold them like this. And then it's like the fourth time, you're kind of like holding them like this because you're so tired. And I remember just thinking, I can't wait to be an empty nester. I can't wait to be an empty I can't wait till they all leave the house one day. Like Jenny and I would talk about, I can't wait till they all get out of here. And they don't need us anymore. We don't have to wipe their diapers. We don't have to put on their clothes and feed them and all that kind of stuff. But one already left the house. (laughs) And when Christina left three years ago to Rutgers, it felt like a funeral in our home. It was so sad. Kayla is a senior in high school. She's applying to colleges right now. Next September, she's out of the house. Christian's a sophomore. He's leaving in two years. Jenny and I are so sad right now because we know in two years, they're all gone. They may never come back. I mean, we're going to do our very best to offer Christina a very big benefits package, free rent, free utilities for life. Come on back, girl. No rent in this house. Keep all, you, keep all that money you're making, right? We hope so. But you know what? She may move to someplace else. She may not stay in New Jersey. I don't know where her job is going to take her. And so Jenny and I know that two years, they're all gone. 
And it makes us so sad. Really, it does. And my buddy Eugene in Seattle, Pastor Eugene, his son just went to college this September, and he shares with me how sad he and his wife Minnie are. They're so sad because they're just by themselves now. And so I'm preparing myself for this. I really am. And it's making me sad. But you know what it's making me do? Every day, I never take it for granted when they're home. Every day, it is a privilege and an honor for me to be with them. My son wants to play baseball in college. He's hoping to get there. And so you know how many times, like all my, 99% of my free time is centered around him. I take him to practices. I take him to like games. I drive him to lessons, multiple lessons. Now I take him to the gym and I'm training him so he can get stronger and gain some weight because he's still 120 pounds. I'm doing whatever I can. Like I'm thinking if this kid goes to college, I'm not going to have a life. I have nothing to do. I hope you'll call me for a meal. I'll go out and hang out. I have nothing to do when this kid goes to college. But there are days where I'm like, this is too much. Like, I think I should just stop. Like, days I should just say, I, I, not only am I a full-time pastor, I'm still working on my doctorate degree. i got to write a dissertation. i got to finish this by May. Please pray for me. I don't know if I'm going to get there. And so I'm thinking, and all the while as I'm thinking, those thoughts it gets dwarfed in a split second because I know that in a couple years, I'm going to say, I really miss taking him to lessons. I miss taking him to the gym. I miss taking him to the games. I miss being a part of his everyday life. And so Jenny and I live with the expectation that in two years, they're all gone. And it's just going to be us two. And we're happy about that, but we're sad because such a big part of our life is leaving us. And because of that, every day is a great day for us to enjoy with our children and our kids. We live every day with a daily expectation that in two years, they're gone. Jesus wants you to live with a daily expectation that he's coming back. And if you believe that, it should impact how you live your life today. Confront your dark side. Go get a soulmate. Enter into a relationship with someone and confess it and repent. The goal is not to be transparent. It's to be vulnerable because vulnerability is a means to an end that leads to growth. And then be faithful to the small things, not the big things, the small things that God has already placed in your life. Because if you're faithful to that, God will not only give you a reward, he'll give you the entire house to manage and take care of. Will we do that? Will we live for the future in the present? Psalms 112, I couldn't stop reading this. I was at a silent retreat this week. And this is what it says, and I pray this for you. May you live your life fearing the Lord, your God, which is Yahweh in Old Testament, so that you can know the joy in obeying his commandments. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you will live your life fearing God, because it's so much better to fear God than fearing humans. Because if you're not fearing God, you're fearing people. And that's a terrible master to be fearing. May you fear God and may you find true joy in obeying his commandments. That's my hope and my prayer for you. Let's live every day with the expectation that Jesus is coming back. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.
So do you live with the expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back or not? And it's okay to be honest about it and say, you know what, I really don't. Well, today you can change that. On this day, Halloween, out of all days, would you confront your dark side? And you confront it primarily by just confessing it. But also repent of the sins that your dark side has often led you to live. Don't wait. And some of you, if you have a soul partner or soulmate, why haven't you done it? What's going on? What are you so afraid of that prevents you from living that kind of life of vulnerability so that you can grow and be set free? And for a lot of you who've been a part of this church, you've heard me talk about this many times. Can I ask you a question? Why haven't you done it? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a perfect person? Because I'm telling you right now, they don't exist. There is no one out there that's perfect or you can do this with. Just find somebody who has the same kind of passion and desire to want to do this with you as well, that they too will share their soul to you. That's all you need. And live that life. And be set free. Because God doesn't want you to live with secrets because when you live with secrets, your dark world takes over. You were not created to be put on this earth to live with secrets. And so will you make that commitment? Say, Peter, today, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to wait any longer. I'm not going to procrastinate. And for those who have a soulmate, start this week, confess it, do a life confession so that your dark side no longer has a darkness where there's no light that can come in. And the second thing is this, what is the small things that God has called you to be faithful to? Have you dropped the ball on that? Maybe for some of you, work has been so busy, you haven't had time to spend with your family. I'm telling you right now, God would rather have you be faithful to your family than work. And if your work is driving you away from being a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, then you have to ask some really hard questions because you're not being faithful to the small things that God has placed upon your life. Maybe there's time to make some radical changes in your life so that you can be wealthy, not in the world's eyes, but in the eyes of God. So why don't you just go to him and let's make a commitment, a commitment to confront our dark side and a commitment to be faithful to the small things. Go to him and pray and I'll close us. Lord, I pray against the spirit of independence from you. We were never created to be independent from you. We were created to be dependent upon you for everything. God, would you be our source of life, our refuge and our strength, our tower of strength. God, would you help us to live our lives believing in all the promises that you've made. And one of the biggest promises, Jesus, is that you will come back one day. And our faith has to be proactive. It cannot be reactive because if it's reactive, it's too late. And so God, help us to be like Noah, building a boat in the middle of a desert even though it never rains. Help us to have that kind of faith. Help us to be faithful with the small things. 
I pray for my brothers and sisters that are sitting here for the blessings maybe that you've given to them, the gifts that maybe they have that they could serve and be a blessing to this church, that you encourage them to do so, to serve this body where you are the head, and that you would help them. But most of all, God, that you would help them to confront their dark side because we all have one. And Lord God, that they no longer would wait on this, but God, they would sense an urgency because the longer they wait, the darker their world becomes. And so God, I do pray that you'll help them to find a soulmate where they can do life with and bear and share and be vulnerable so that they can grow. So be with our church, God. Help us to be a community where every day we live with the expectation that you're coming back. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, there's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. If you can go to your communication card, there are on there. It's on your app. Or if you just go to emetro.org slash Sunday, there's a, you can just hit on that communication card. First thing, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, we really want you to take that step. Would you please check that off and say, Peter, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. And we'll get back to you. All right? We will get back to you. If you want to maybe go back to the prayer station and pray, one of our pastors or our elders are back there. They'd love to pray with you and for you with that. All right? Two, Peter, I'm going to confess my dark side to someone this week. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to wait and procrastinate. I'm going to confess it. Some of you actually have soulmates. It's time. It's time you confess it. All right? Confess your dark side. Three, I will be faithful to the small things by signing up to serve in a ministry at Metro this week. If this is your home, this church is your home, and those watching, if this church is your home, it's time to start serving in some ways where you could be a blessing. All right? So be faithful to those small things. That you're going to do that this week. You're going to intentionally look at it. If you look at your communication card, if you keep scrolling down, there, there, there's a section that says, I'd like more information on, and there's a list of all of our ministries there. You can click on any of those, and we'll get back to you this week. We promise you. Four, I will be faithful to the small things by committing a tithe to Metro Church. If this is your church, I want to challenge you to tithe. I want to challenge you to do that. See what God does. It's like he multiplies the two loaves and the whatever, the few fish in your lives when you're willing to honor him with your money. All right? It's important, and it's a small thing that God calls you to do. Five, I will intentionally focus on living my life for the next three months to be a blessing rather than wanting to receive God's blessings. How cool is that? For the next three months, you're going to live your life hoping that God would use you to be a blessing and you stop praying that God would bless you because you're not going to really receive a blessing until you can first release it. So live your life for the next 90 days focused on giving away the blessing rather than you receiving it and see what God does in your life.